when the nonsense is just circulating around like a buzzsaw, okay, be aware of it. Don't be obsessed by it. Be obsessed with the next one right thing you can do now that's most predictive of creating the result you need to create. And that's about executing. That's about competing with who you were yesterday. And you do that and the scoreboard starts to take care of itself. Blame is dangerous. Well, I see a lot of people in blame right now. They're blaming supply chains. They're blaming what's going on overseas. They're blaming the government. And man, blame is the anti-focus. It will ruin you. It will take your eyes and energies off of what you can do and put on all this stuff. And now you've got a permission slip not to perform. You can just suck your thumb, go through life, assuming the position, being a victim. And that is not going to help you. And that's where a lot of people are at right now. And they got to get their power back and focus on what they can do. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Dave Anderson. Dave is the president and CEO of Learn to Lead. He's often known as Mr. Accountability. He's really a leading international speaker and author on personal and corporate small business performance improvement. After an extensive career in the automotive retail business, Dave, along with his wife, Rhonda, they began Learn to Lead, which is now entering its third decade. They have the goal to be able to help individuals and organizations reach their personal and corporate potential. He's the author of 15 books, most recently, Intentional Mindset, Developing Mental Toughness in a Killer Instinct. He also is a host of a podcast that's incredibly popular, The Game Changer Life. He has no nonsense, fast paced. I picked up so much about leadership, which can sometimes be this thing that's hard to get our hands around. But I picked up so much in this podcast with Dave. Can't wait for you to dive in. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dave Anderson. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with DirectClicks. DirectClicks is the premier Google ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, Direct Clicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. 
There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve chairman circle, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Dave Anderson, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Great to be with you. I'm excited. Excited to have you. So we always start with background and origin story, because I think it's fascinating about how people got to where they are. And so why don't you just take a few minutes and for people that don't know you, just kind of bring us up to present day. How did you get to doing what it is that you do today? I started in sales, like a lot of folks selling insurance door to door, and then had a friend that recommended I might like selling cars more than death policies. And that sounded like a little bit of an upgrade at the time. So I got into the car business as a car salesman and worked my way into management. This was in Texas, moved out to California to run a large group. It was sold to AutoNation back in the late 90s. And at that time, I started our company, Learn to Lead, uh, teaching a lot of the principles. Uh, We learned and developed along the way to build that group. And since that time, I've written 15 books, spoken in 21 uh, different countries, usually speak about 100 times a year, usually on leadership and accountability. But I've also, my last two books have been on mindset. I have a martial arts background, so a lot of our mindset principles came with that. I'm working with my third college basketball team now as a mental skills trainer, and I also work with a handful of professional athletes in that same role. So it's just kind of evolved over the years, probably 23 years now. We've got a nonprofit foundation that we started about a decade ago and uh, helped feed over 400 orphans a day and uh, do some things here in the inner city in LA where we're at, and it's always fun to give back that way. So it's been a fun journey. Yeah, that's awesome. All of our podcast listeners know that I'm big into golf and basketball. We're a big basketball family. My son is really into basketball coaches, fifth grade team and his travel basketball team. And so, yeah, if we get into Uh talking sports and basketball leadership and accountability for young kids, then for those listening, just go with it for a little bit while I talk to Dave about that. uh, So I do want to ask, that is brings up a really good point. I've asked this before to some guests about the parallels with sports and business, because I do think that there is some really great lessons that we can pull. And there's so many people that grew up playing sports, played college sports, have people on our teams that played college sports. One of my team members played college baseball at Auburn as an example. And so can you just talk about how do you, whenever you're working with, say, a large car dealership, et cetera, pull some of those principles, those mindset things from sports into business. Yeah, they're very relatable and transferable. That's a wonderful thing about principles. I mean, they transcend industries, continents, generations. If it's a principle, you can take it and apply it. For instance, in business, just like in sports, you need killer instinct and mental toughness. And those are two different things. And they can both be developed. Killer instincts about attacking goals. And mental toughness is about fighting for them, even when it gets tough. Some people, as you know, they're always starting stuff. They're always starting a new diet, starting a new workout program, starting a new business, starting a foreign language, starting a martial art. And when it gets tough, there's disappointment, setbacks, defeats. They just kind of wane. And so some folks have good killer instinct, but not mental toughness in business and in sports. Other people got good mental toughness. You can't get them started. 
But once they're on something, they're on it. And I mean, they're gnawing it to the end and just wrestling it to the ground. And so how can you intentionally create factors in your life that get you going and keep you going? And there are very relatable principles in business and in sports that apply to that. And then resilience. If you're in sales and your last six customers say no, how do you get excited about going out there and getting that seventh one? And if you're shooting baskets, if you're a point guard and your last six baskets don't go, how do you stay locked in not to just keep passing the ball and to take that seventh shot? Again, it's about that resilience, the ability to recover quickly, not just recover, but recover Mm -hmm. quickly from setbacks, disappointments, and defeats. And just making those principles part of your nature, just doing things on a daily basis that just build more of that into your nature to where you don't even have to think about it. That's just who you are. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's really strong parallels between the two. How to be a great teammate. Bradley, you got people that just have the disease of me. They have it in business. They don't care about anybody else. They create all the drama in the office. They're holding the meeting after the meeting, talking about why nothing will work. And then you got those guys in locker rooms. It's all about me. I didn't get enough minutes. I didn't get enough credit. I'm not getting enough shots. And and they just poison cultures. And so you have those same type of factors that you need to deal with and not be that guy in situations as well. And how can you serve others? How can you put the team first? And there's so many things we could go on and on about conditioning, getting ready for the performance before you're in the performance. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want a great day at work, it begins before it begins. It starts with what is your morning routine? What are you doing when you get up? Are you doing stuff that makes you feel better or worse about yourself? If you're an athlete, it begins before it begins. What are you doing in between game days? What are you doing before you get into that gym? Are you following processes? Are you making yourself uncomfortable? Are you leaving yourself, your mindset up for grabs for all the media to hijack it? Are you focusing on things that's going to help you perform when you're there? And so there's very like principles in all those areas. If you're going to perform, those principles apply to you. That's so good. One thing that you mentioned there about being a good teammate, I actually played golf in college. And yes, while I was on a team, when you were actually out there playing and you're on the 12th hole and you just made a double, nobody's coming to save you. You may be on a team, but yeah, somebody behind you, somebody in front of you, they can't come help you. They can't sub you in, right? as it is in sports or in basketball and some of the other sports. Same with martial arts, man. When you're out on the mat and you're getting your butt beat, there's nobody, you can't tag somebody else in. You've got to figure it out. It's very, very, very similar. And the beautiful thing about being part of a team is you can leverage the strengths of that team. And a lot of times we just don't do that. Today, we're all in our own little world, going our own little way, running our own little agenda sometimes. And we don't harness the collective abilities of that team, either in Mm -hmm. sports or in business. And boy, We miss our potential by so much when that happens. I think it is so important as business owners. It can feel lonely. It is important to get yourself in a peer group of other business owners that you can share things. So I want you to talk about that. But let me share this last other part. And that is around small business and entrepreneurial burnout I want to ask you about. And the reason I'm asking this question At the time of this recording, we're a couple of weeks into the war in Ukraine that has obviously just got everybody's attention. Stress is at a high. Everybody's like, there's just a lot of tension in the world in general right now with prices, et cetera, supply chain. And to say that that doesn't affect us as small business owners would be ludicrous. Can you speak about two things? Number one, the importance of surrounding yourself with a peer group. And number two, how to deal with when we are, as small business owners, leading teams, servicing our clients, 
whenever we get to that point or getting really close to burnout and breaking, how do we stop that and change so that we can begin to repair? Well, peer groups are essential. I mean, peer groups, you can learn from them if you're there with a humble attitude and you're willing to open your mind and not to think it always has to be your way. They can hold you accountable. They can call you out on stuff. They can bring ideas to you. I think that the main danger of peer groups is when we compare ourselves too much to the people in them. I believe comparison can kill contentment. And when you're in a peer group and someone is obviously farther along in life or in business than you are, if you make the mistake of comparing yourself to that person, you may have grown extremely measurably over the years, but you can still feel worse about yourself because you're not where that person is. And that's an unhealthy comparison. But Mm -hmm. it also works against you if you're doing better than they are. Comparison can also kindle complacency. So if you're doing really well, if you're the top person in that group and you're comparing yourself to where everyone else is versus where you're at, you can start to get a little full of yourself and become a little bit complacent because you're using the wrong measurement. The right measurement is not comparing yourself to others, but comparing yourself to where you used to be. Are you better than you once were? Whether you're in business or whether you're an athlete, at the end of the day, it's you against you. It's you versus you. You've got to be better today than you were yesterday. Peer groups can really help you do that, but you have to keep that comparison thing in check. And then when you've got craziness happening in the world, and actually it's been going on for a couple of years now, just in different phases, uh, starting back with the COVID and the whole bit, the word obsessed means to be continually preoccupied with something. There are some good obsessions in life, and there are some really harmful obsessions in life. And it's really important, especially as things seem to be falling apart around you, to be aware of what's going on without being obsessed by what's going on. You've got to be obsessed with what you can control. You've got to be obsessed with that next one right thing you can do now. All right. What can you control? What is that next action you can take that's most predictive of creating the result you need to create? That's all about staying in the moment whether you're playing basketball or whether you're in business, if you get too hung up on the scoreboard, it takes you out of the game. Mm-hmm. If you get too hung up on what's going on around you, what the referee is doing or what the president's doing, what you've just done is you've taken your focus off of what you can control and you've shifted it to things you can't do anything about. And eventually that can make you feel powerless. When you're focused too much on the stuff you can't control, that's where you feel overwhelmed. That's where you feel burned out. That's where you feel like you're just swimming against a current where you can't win. You've got to get your power back. And where you have power in your life is in the areas of your life that you can control. You can still control how you respond to what's going on, whether you're going to plan, prospect, whether you're going to grow, whether you're going to develop discipline, whether you're going to follow a process if you have it. All these things, you can control your attitude, your character choices, your work ethic, where you spend your time, with whom you spend it to a large degree. And when the nonsense is just circulating around like a buzzsaw, okay, be aware of it. Don't be obsessed by it. Be obsessed with the next one right thing you can do now that's most predictive of creating the result you need to create. And that's about executing. That's about competing with who you were yesterday. And you do that and the scoreboard starts to take care of itself. Blame is dangerous. Well, I see a lot of people in blame right now. They're blaming supply chains. They're blaming what's going on overseas. They're blaming the government. And man, blame is the anti-focus. It will ruin you. It will take your eyes and energies off of what you can do and put on all this stuff. And now you've got a permission slip not to perform. You can just suck your thumb, go through life, assuming the position, being a victim. And that is not going to help you. And that's where a lot of people are at right now. And they got to get their power back and focus on what they can do. Mm, That's good. You got some good one-liners. I like this. I was writing them down as fast as I could. Blame is the anti-focus. I really love that. That's awesome. And I also love whenever you said 
around being obsessed is unhealthy, but you've got to be obsessed with the things that you can control. I love that. I think that is super powerful. All right. So I can't talk to Dave Anderson without talking about accountability. Okay. So let me debunk this and then talk to me about how you see accountability. Some people, as soon as they hear accountability, it's a negative connotation. It's a negative connotation. They hear it and they like get it as I'm talking about leaders. Okay. But we can talk about basketball coaches too. I'm going to hold you accountable. It immediately sometimes can invite this negativity. How do we shift our beliefs? First of all, I totally agree with your assessment. I was getting ready to speak to a leadership group in Kansas City one time, and I got in that night preparing for the class. The leader called me up and said, listen, would you have time to grab a bite to eat with us tonight? I said, well, certainly. I know Kansas City has some good restaurants. We went out for some barbecue. He said, you know, Dave, he said, I've seen you speak in seminars for years and I've read your books, but I've never had you in front of my people. And now that you're here, I'm afraid about what you're going to say to my group tomorrow. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I know you always talk about accountability. He said, and you start talking about accountability in front of my group and everyone's going to think you're talking about getting fired. I said, well, I'm glad you brought that up. I said, because my concept of accountability is to prevent that from happening. Accountability is to create the conditions to correct performance before it goes that far. And if you really look at accountability the right way, it's something you do for someone, not something you do to someone. You are doing it to help them become more successful. You're doing it to get them back on that right track if they got off track. You're doing it so they can remain employed, take care of their family, prosper and grow as a human being. If you look at it as something you're doing for them, you'll be less likely to apologize for it or to be reluctant to do it. Now you got to do it the right way. See, Uh, accountability to me is a conversation, Bradley. It's not a write-up or probation or termination or loss of a privilege. Those could be consequences. But the best form of a consequence is just having a conversation with somebody and letting them know that what they did is not how to do it, why it's important to do it the right way, redefine what the right way is, and just get on the same page that we're good going forward that that's the way you're going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. That fixes so many errant performances, just having a conversation, but having it conversationally. Okay. Keeping the emotion out. And I know sometimes your emotions get involved because you care and you care and you get involved and you whip out your big, bad accountability voice. And you can say all the right things, but if you're saying it the wrong way, that message is not getting through. So it's Mm -hmm. not being profane not getting personal, not bringing up the last 10 things they did. It simply takes the focus off the one you're trying to fix now. Have conversations with people. Conversations are respectful. Conversations are likely to get through and correct that course. But before you can do any of that, honestly, I have a two-day class on accountability and I get people excited. So, oh, I got to get tougher with consequences. I got to give more feedback. And I say, okay, good, good. But hold on a minute. I say, hold on a minute. You do need to do that but that's not where you start. You cannot have accountability without clarity. The first thing Mm. you've got to do in your organization is you have to be certain that what you expect from people is resolutely clear because ambiguity is the enemy of accountability. There is no way you could sit down with me and say, you know what, Anderson, you're just not cutting it. If you haven't clearly defined what that looks like, there's no way you can sit down with me and say, you know what, Anderson, you're just not living the values. If you never talk about what your core values are or what your mission is, you can't sit down with me and say, you know what, Anderson, you're just not doing the right things every day. If you've never identified for me what those things are out of the 40 things I've got to do today, if I could only do four, what would those things be? What are my priorities? And they may change from day to day, but what are they now? 
So if you want to hold people more accountable, got to have the right idea about it. It's something you're doing for them, just like you're raising kids. Okay, you got some do's and you got some don'ts. And when they do the don't, they don't do the do, there's probably going to be a conversation or some consequences. Why are we doing it? Not because we dislike them, not because we want them to leave home, not because we hate them or are disrespecting them. It's the opposite of those things. We love that kid and we expect more from them and we want better for them. So we're doing it for them and growing a team is the same way. So have the right idea about it, do it the right way. But first, make sure you got clarity as a benchmark for accountability, or you're always going to be reluctant to have that conversation of, you know, down deep, you haven't been clear enough about what you expected in the first place. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a state farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com and be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Is it fair to say that oftentimes we may not be as clear ourselves? And so therefore, it leads to ambiguity with our teams. No right? doubt about it. No doubt about it. And I'll tell you something else that happens. And managers do this, I believe, subconsciously. I don't think they do it intentionally. Some managers, they don't want to get real clear. Because if they get real clear, then they put themselves and someone else into a corner to where there is a right, there is a wrong, there is a winning, there is a losing. And if you're not doing it, I actually have to confront it. Now I got to make me and you uncomfortable dealing with this situation. If I kind of leave it vague, <laughs> if I kind of leave it vague, I leave us both a little bit of wiggle room. But that's a strategy of surrender. That's no way to build a team of business or to lead people. Love it. Ambiguity is the enemy of accountability. That may be the quote of the podcast, because I completely agree with you. I heard this 
I wish I could give credit to who I heard it from. I didn't come up with it. One of your titles is Chief Reminding Officer, CRO. Your title as the business owner is to be Chief Reminding Officer. And to go further, unless you begin to hear your team to repeat back to you the things that you say, little quips, your core values, little sayings or phrases, whatever, unless you start hearing that, you haven't said it enough. That's fantastic insight. I mean, if you want to change a culture, you got to change the conversations. You got to change the things that you're talking about. You got to talk about the things that matter most, the next one right thing to do, what the values are, why we're doing this, what our mission is, what our vision is. You can't talk about that stuff enough. And about the time you're sick of saying it is about the time they're starting to get it and they're starting to say it. And so you are never going to over communicate clarity you are far greater greater danger of under-communicating it. And so it's saying it, saying it, saying it until they're saying it, but better yet, until they're living it. A lot of people yeah. say it, but until they're living it, it hasn't quite hit home yet. Yeah, so true. One thing you just mentioned right there that I'm glad you touched on because I was going to get into it is this idea of changing the culture. Somebody is listening right now and they have accepted and tolerated whatever it is in their business through themselves, their lack of habits and with their teams. So they've gotten what they've tolerated, as Keith Cunningham says. So they're listening to this and they say, I want to change my culture. We're good and we want to be great or the office culture is not what it needs to be at all. I'm now ready to make the change. Okay. So give us maybe like two or three steps, principles that you believe that that person needs to do to say, I want to go take the culture from this to what it is today to something else. That's good. And I think it's important because culture is never done. It's not a to-do list. Item. It's like a garden. Okay. If you take your eyes off the garden for very long, you're going to go back and look at that garden and it's not the same as it was. You got to weed it, seed it, feed it. I mean, it's not static. And so cultures develop daily, not in a day. But if you're going to, it all starts with clarity. If you look at the five pillars of culture, I like to look at culture as a foundation. Culture is the foundation of your business. If you're going to build a skyscraper, you got to put it on the right foundation. How high you can go is going to depend a lot on how strong that foundation is. If if your foundation has developed cracks and holes because you're not holding people accountable, because you're not clear, because you hired some of the wrong folks, whatever. If it has shifted from the stone onto the sand, you've got a very suspect foundation. So whenever you want to go higher, you always go back and you strengthen that foundation. But you need to imagine that there are five pillars that are holding up that foundation. And these are the five primary pillars of culture. you got core values, which are the non-negotiable behaviors. has nothing to do with numbers. It has to do with how you get the numbers, doing it the right way. Okay. And you can't perform at a high level. I don't care what numbers you get. You got to do it the right way. We're not going to have toxic achievers here. Those core values become a big part of the DNA of our organization. Second pillar is mission. Mission is your purpose. As a team, we got to share a purpose. We have to know why do we exist as an organization? Why are we here every day? Because if we're not really clear as to what that purpose is, we come up with our own purposes and we start following our own agendas. And now without meaning to, we're working against each other. Most organizations have a mission statement. The problem is it's not a statement. It's like a page and a half and nobody knows what it is. And it's hard to be aggressive when you're confused. But if you can really just pare down that mission in a nice, concise, here's why we exist. Here's why we do what we do. That creates clarity. It's easier for people to make decisions in accordance with that. Third pillar, performance standards. These are the outcomes that are non-negotiable and the daily behaviors that create the outcomes that are non-negotiable and customized for each position. 
The first two aren't going to change really, but the third, I mean, your values and your mission pretty well stay the same, but you're always tweaking these performance standards. They need to be high enough to stretch people. Not so high they don't believe in them, but they got to be high enough to where you can't hit them with business as usual. Because if you can hit them with business as usual, you're not going to grow. So we need them for outcomes. We need them for activities. Now, I said there's five pillars of culture. Those are the first three. Notice something about the first three. They all have to do with clarity. All three of them have to do with clarity. 60% of culture is clarity. Clarifying what is acceptable and what isn't. What is expected and what you're not going to tolerate. And the reason 60% of culture is clarity is because you need accountability to protect that culture. And you can't have accountability without the clarity. And mm -hmm. so if you're going to say, i got to change the culture, change the clarity. Or if it's already there, bring it to life. A lot of people have core values hanging on the wall. Nobody knows what they are. The leader's not even living them. You got a core value of integrity and the leader's coming in late. The leader doesn't keep commitments. And so now they're just a core hanging on a wall. So if you want to change the culture, you've got to change the clarity, either redefine it or bring it to life when it's there. Fourth pillar of culture, your core competencies. These are your strengths. These are the things you do better than your peers. These are the things a peer would look at you and say, man, I wish we did X as well as they do. That's a unique part of your culture. That makes you different and better than the competition. The problem with that is usually we start ignoring our strengths because they're already strong mm -hmm. and we take them for granted. And we start spending all of our time doing damage control and working on weaknesses. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't work on weaknesses, but I'm saying you sure can't ignore your strengths because it's easier to go from good to great than it is to go from miserable to mediocre. Because if you're already good, you've got a foundation there. So continue to build on those core competencies. That's where you pull yourself away from the pack and really become in a league of your own. So you have core values, mission, performance standards, core competencies, and then the fifth pillar of people. Obviously, people define your culture. And the reason I put people as number five is they got to line up with the other four. So you have to have people who share your core values, believe in your mission, have the skills to hit your performance standards and the talents to align with your core competencies. So if you want to change the culture, there's your job description. You go to work on those five things. Every time you train people, you're working on the people pillar. Every time you're holding them accountable, you're working on the people pillar. Every time you make a good hire, you're helping the people pillar. You make a bad hire, you're hurting all the rest of it. They're not going to live your values, hit your standards, care about your mission, or be able to affect your core competencies. And so there's your job description if you want to change a culture. Work on those five things, and it's never done. Your work's never done. It is ongoing. And I'll tell you this. If you don't take control of your culture, society will take control of it for you. You can either shape your culture from the inside out in your image, with your standards, with your values, with your purpose, or you could go ahead and leave it up for grabs, and you can let what's going on in society's culture shape it for you. Because here's what we got to understand. Trends in business follow trends in society, because the people who work in business also live in society. So look at what's going on in society. There is a rise of entitlement. People are more entitled probably than they ever have been before. Give me something for nothing. I don't want to have to really work for it. You owe me. The government owes me. Someone's got to come rescue me and bail me out. There's a decline in civility in society right now. People are not as nice to one another as they used to be. People from different political parties can't even have a conversation. They think that disagree means dislike. Okay. And so there's this disease of me. There's this selfishness and self-centeredness and when you look at all these things that are going on, there's this increased political correctness in society where you're afraid to speak the truth. 
And so if you're going to let that stuff start to infiltrate your culture, you're going to have entitled people. You're going to be sugarcoating what's really going on because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You're going to have people who only care about themselves, who don't share your values. And that whole culture is going to be up for grabs and society is going to hijack it right out from under you. And so this is one of your chief responsibilities as a business leader, business owner, take control of your culture, take it back, work on those five things, shape it in your image. I love that. All right. So the culture is the foundation. One thing you said that I loved it, we said a lot of things I love, but how high you go is going to be based on the foundation and in that foundation of culture, which sometimes it becomes this ethereal thing, unless we break it down into what you said, here's the five pillars of it. Like that's great versus culture is this thing almost you can't really hold, but yet you know it, you feel it whenever it's there. Like you can sense it. You can, and you can feel, I mean, you can feel culture. You can walk into a restaurant, walk into a hotel lobby. I mean, there's an energy, there's a feel, or sometimes you walk in and you feel like that kid in that old movie, The Sixth Sense. You walk in, it's like, I see dead people, man. I mean, there's nothing going on here. There's no life. There's nothing but apathy. So you can feel it, but the feeling comes from what those five pillars are about. I remember the first time I ever attended a training session as a sales manager. And I heard the speaker start to talk about culture. I was turned off because I thought I'm not here to talk about this warm and fuzzy, happy hot tub talk stuff. I want to know how do we get the real numbers? But then when I wised up, I realized you don't get the real numbers if that warm and fuzzy stuff, if that's the way you want to look at it, isn't what it is meant to be. So I try to break it down and make it very workable for people. And here's what we've got to understand, Bradley, culture dictates behaviors Mm -hmm. and behaviors determine results. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's a big deal. So culture dictates behaviors and behaviors determine results. Those things I mentioned, they're going to dictate the behaviors. You walk into a church, a temple, a mosque, people behave different ways in all those places. Why? They have a unique culture in each one. You Mm -hmm. go to a football game, they behave differently than they do at a library. Okay. You Mm -hmm. go to a nightclub, they behave differently than they do at a museum. Museums have a different culture than a nightclub. Ball game has a different culture than a library. You go to Las Vegas at 2 a.m., they're going to act differently than they do in Des Moines at 2 a.m. Culture dictates behaviors. Behaviors determine results. So everybody's looking for better results. How do we get better results? Well, you look at the behaviors, but results don't change till behaviors change. Let's dig a little deeper. What's going to affect the behaviors? Culture. Culture. Mm -hmm. The biggest mistake we make, I believe, as leaders is trying to change the way people behave without changing the culture in which it's found. And it never sticks. It never lasts until the expectations are high enough. The values are clear enough. The mission is strong enough. And the accountability is consistent enough. Behaviors will not change. Once the behaviors change, the results change. That is so good. That is so good. I heard it said in the Hardy's book, Willpower Doesn't Work. He said that environment shapes performance. And when I think environment, I'm thinking the culture. And so it's basically, we go get this A player. Let's take a basketball player, right? It's almost Mark, the way it is March Madness. And we go to get an A player, but we stick him in the wrong culture. It doesn't really matter. There's a team around him and all these people, et cetera. He can't, one person can't overcome unless you're the leader. And then you're the coach and you can actually shape and change the culture. I think that's so great. One thing you mentioned, nobody is going to be able to, see this on here, but I'm going to show Dave while I'm on my iPad because he's mentioned this. And I think I love the clarity. You see this right here? My next right thing. 
I think you say my next one thing or something like that. Next is one it, right thing now. Next one right thing now. And then the next and then the next. That's beautiful. You got it right. Yeah, exactly. So we're, yeah. So anyway, we use this and uh, I was actually on a session with somebody just a couple hours before you and I hopped on here and we were very clear beginning off of that. Let's be clear, Mark. What is your next right thing? And he said, okay, it's this. And then he can move on to this other thing because he had all these projects he wanted to get done. So nope. This is your next right thing. Get this done, then we'll move to the next. I, I love think it. that's great. Because I just think what you were talking about is focus. So this it is, is and great. everybody focuses on something. People say, oh, he has a lot of focus. My question is on what? I mean, is he focused on stuff he can't control? Is he focused on outcomes? Be aware of outcomes, but focus on the next one right thing now that's going to create that outcome. It's all about mm-hmm. execution. We get so focused on outcomes, we stop executing. We take ourselves out of the game and start looking at that scoreboard and we're not doing that next one right thing now. Stay in the moment, master the moment, maximize the moment. The scoreboard takes care of itself in sports or in business. Not many people get me fired up. Dave got me fired up today. This is good. This is good. I appreciate that. I like this. All right, Dave, we're going to get into E9 rapid fire questions. But before we do that, I know people are going to want to reach out to you, talk to you about how you can help them in their organization's where would you point them to? Well, the best place is our website. Our website and our company is learntolead.com. Spell it out just like it sounds, L-E-A-R-N-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. We have a free club there called the Insider Club. It takes about a second to sign up and you've got access to free articles, videos, our workshop schedules there. We have our own training center here in LA. Our whole menu of classes for the year is there. All of our books, virtual training, it's all there. Just go to the website and you'll learn more about us and how we can work together. I'm sure you probably had a reason for doing this, but just the name of your company, Learn to Lead, means that leaders are not born, they are made. That's right. I mean, leadership is developed. It's not discovered. There's been enough heirs that lost family fortunes and deposed monarchs throughout the centuries that will show that leadership is not genetic. You can get better at it. You can develop the mindset. Got to have the mindset and the skill set. You got the skill set without the mindset, you won't use the skill set. If you got the skill set without the mindset, you'll make a mess of the skills. And so you got to have both the right, the right thinking and the right skills to go with it. I'll have you come back on the podcast and we'll talk about mindset next time. We'll dive more into that. Yeah, it's great. All right, here we go. You ready for the E9 rapid fire? You bet. All right, last book that you read. I'm reading like four right now. Last book that I read is that I totally made it all the way through because, again, I read a lot with John Quincy Adams' biography on Adams. I love it. It's been out a while. Just fantastic to see what that guy went through, the persistence, what he had to work against, how he was a maverick. Love that book. I love biographies. I learn a lot from people who figured things out and who had some mistakes along the way. What is the book you would recommend the most to other small business owners? I would recommend a book that really helped me. It helped me really understand what leadership's about. The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. John and I go way back to the 90s. He's written probably 70 leadership books. And that book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, really gave me a wonderful picture of what leadership's about. Who do you look up to? Who do you study under? Who's a mentor of yours? I have a mentor's wall in our training center. And one of my mentors was Zig Ziglar. And he really taught me a lot about motivation. John actually introduced me to Zig. And the other mentor on that wall is John Maxwell. Uh, He's mentored me a lot in leadership and my third mentor with mindset. So John was leadership, Zig was motivation. And my sensei is my mentor for mindset. He's a seven-time world champion. He's in three karate halls of fame, and he's really taught me a lot about how to think and handle adversity. And I enjoy every minute I get to spend with him. All right. 
dead or alive, you get to be on a 10 hour flight. Now that flights are actually really coming back now, get to be on a 10 hour flight with anybody dead or alive, who would it be? Well, I'm a spiritual person. And so there's a lot I don't want to wait to heaven to find out about. So I, it's like, I'm really curious about some stuff. So I would love to be on that 10 hour flight with Jesus. And I'd just like to ask a lot of questions I have about things I read over the years that I don't want to wait till I'm gone to find out. Amen. Your favorite tech tool or app that you use every day? I'm not a real heavy tech guy. I do a lot of texting and group chats with my teams that I work with, with different groups of people I have. And mm -hmm. you know what? I love the LinkedIn app. I connect with a lot of people on LinkedIn, but as far as my, I'm a communicator. And as far as my communication tool, just get me on those group chats. When you're not working, leading, coaching, what do you love to do in your spare time? I love to think. I actually have a thinking chair that I go and get away from the screen time, get away from the phone with a pad. I don't think we take enough time to intentionally think and just let our mind wind down. I love to think, I love to read, I love to exercise, but just thinking, I actually think intentionally an hour a day. I have a thinking chair here in my mm -hmm. office. It faces out at the mountains and the picture window and usually about one o'clock, not long after I get off of this recording, I'm going to go over to that chair and just take time to work on my business. I work in it all the time. I want to work on it and I want to work on my life. And I do that by thinking. Biggest misconception around leadership. The biggest misconception around leadership. I think that it is somewhat inherited or genetic that you either are or you aren't. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. he's not a leader. Well, that doesn't mean he can't become one. I think the biggest misconception around leadership is that they don't understand it really can be developed and you can take it to an entirely different level. The second one I would say is that it's the same thing as management, which it is not. Mm. Leadership and management are two completely different skill sets. Mm. And so leadership is about people work. Management is about paperwork, systems, controls, budgets. You got to have both systems, processes. Leadership is vision, direction, culture building, people development. And so people throw those two words around management and leadership like they're the same thing. And they're not. Most organizations are overmanaged and underled. So I think that's a very big misconception about leadership and the fact that you either are or you aren't. I'll never buy into that. Title never made anybody a leader. Never made anybody a leader. You can lead without a title and you can have a title and still not be a leader. You're just a what ceremonial was... pretender with a title. You're an empty suit. There are a lot of empty suits, a lot of clowns out there that got a leadership title that aren't impacting anyone in a positive mm -hmm. way. What was the best thing about the pandemic for you personally? Oh, we actually have brochures around our office for all our guests to see. We had 2020 happened for us, not to us. Our business was shut down. We were deemed as non-essential. It forced me to become more creative. It forced me to become more creative. We have about nine products now we never would have had without that pandemic. And they're all different virtuals, downloads, rentals, all these different things, all this material we created that we were never fully leveraging. The Zooms, we never did Zooms. We have a huge revenue stream with Dave on Zooms right now. So it made us become more creative and find things about our business and opportunities we never knew existed. Love that. Last question. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast after all, and it's so awesome to have you on and just pouring into all of us. And so therefore, what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Work on yourself. Work harder on yourself than you do on your job. That the business will get better when you get better. And you get better when you go to work on yourself. That right. your number one obligation is to grow. You can't grow people if you're not growing. You can't export what you don't have. You can't take them on journeys you haven't been on. And I learned a lot of that from Jim Rohn. Oh, I love it so much. I love it so much. I could talk to you for three hours. This being a three-part podcast. Time flew. Dave, it went fast. It went fast. This is great. I'd love to have you back on in the future.
Would love to. I appreciate the thought very much and appreciate your time and having me on to share. Man, that was a great conversation with Dave. Let me share with you a few of the things that I loved and a few of the things that I learned. Number one, culture informs behaviors and behavior informs results. Number two, when he talked about his five pillars of culture, number one, core values, number two, mission, number three, performance standards, number three, core competencies, and then lastly, people. One thing about number three, he says performance standards. He doesn't say like goals. He says, these are our performance standards, our minimum expectations. Love that. Number three, I loved the quote that he had. He had a lot of one-liners. Ambiguity is the enemy of accountability. Number four, blame is the anti-focus. And number five, comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills contentment. And that is so true. I'm a huge believer of surrounding yourself in a peer group of other small business owners who are wanting and trying to get better. That said, totally agree with Dave, is that it's next time that you go to a meeting or any of the peer groups that you're a part of, and you're around somebody that says, let's just say they do eight figures. They do $10 million in revenue and you're at a million. No, it's one thing to be asking that person all the things that they're doing at 10 million. But I would encourage you to get that person to go back and reflect when their business was at the same size that yours is today. What are the things that they did and how did they think back then to get the business to where it is today? Not necessarily the things that they're doing. A good idea for Richard Branson is not a good idea for Bradley Hammer and probably not for you. Same thing with Warren Buffett that's at a high level, almost said Steve Jobs. You get the point. How did they think? What are the things that they did to get their business to where it is now? Not necessarily the things that they're doing today. Go visit Dave at learntolead.com. Learntolead.com. His website is full of a ton of material. Reach out to him. See how he can help you in your business. I was talking to my friends with direct clicks. I was talking to Tim and Matt the other day, and Tim was sharing with me this testimonial that he had gotten from someone that had been working with them since they opened their insurance agency in October of 2019. So just not long ago. And they signed up from the get-go with them. And they started to look back on that very first year of their business. And they found that the majority, the vast majority of their business was coming through Google ads and AdWords. And then they went in and added on SEO. And now their business, they've seen tremendous growth with both SEO and still having great success in AdWords. And it's really helped them to be able to scale their business. So reach out to directclicksinc.com. If you've just started your business here in the first couple of years, Those dollars that you invest with any vendor are incredibly important. None better. You know you need to invest in marketing and you want to make sure every dollar goes to work for you. That's exactly what the team at DirectClicks is going to be able to do for you. Go to directclicksinc.com. Speaking of dollars, how do you know what you're investing as a percentage of revenue? Matter of fact, what should you be investing percentage of revenue into marketing? What about branding initiatives? What about direct response? What should that be? Well, there's only one way to really be able to get that type of data, not just for you, but also compared to some of your peers, not in a way that's comparison, but in a way of knowing what are some of the other top insurance agents in the country doing? 
That's exactly the type of information you're going to get when you work with our partners at Club Capital. Go to club.capital and book a no obligation demo and look into and ask them about the new services they just rolled out in 2022 about CFO services for your business and how it can help you. It is a game changer. So we know as a small business owner, we need to invest in the marketing of our business. Number two, we need to invest so that we have good numbers that we can make better decisions. And maybe the most important investment that you can make, Dave said it on this podcast, is in yourself, is in yourself and in the greatest resource that you have for your business. And that is development of your team. There's none other. If you're an insurance agency owner and you're ready to go to the next level, you're ready to be tops in your area, you're ready to be tops in the marketplace, or you're ready to be one of the best in the country, go to Coach P. Go to CoachPConsulting.com. Reach out to David and his team. You'll be able to jump on a call every single week, twice a week with David and somebody from his team. You'll be able to get kind of a behind the scenes look at somebody who's doing it at the highest level. What are the plays and the systems and the processes that they have in place? And what are the things that they have done to build their agency to the level that they're at today? Go to coachpconsulting.com. I was talking to Josh Fuller, the CEO of Relevant the other day, and he was telling me about how much their business has grown over the last couple of years since the pandemic. And that is a big part to all of you. Now, many of you have gone and worked with him on his team and have been super impressed with the quality, the quick turnaround, the personalized service that you get with working with someone at Relevant. And they're going to be able to help do things for you to make you stand out in your marketplace and in the community. Make sure you go to relevantadvantage.com. And if you're a State Farm agent, they are the ones who own sfagentpromos.com. So go and check them out. They are going to give you the quickest turnaround, some of the best rates, and certainly the best customer service, sfagentpromos.com. I'm so grateful to get to learn and to share with all of you. Just an incredible life to lead, to get to learn from others such as Dave, and then hopefully be able to put that in front of you. I hope today's episode has been helpful. We think about can 30 to 60 minutes once a week change your business? I think it can. I think it can. So I appreciate being in your earbuds every single week. Can you do me one favor? The only ask that I have is that you rate us now on Google, on Apple, and now on Spotify. Spotify just released being able to rate the show. So if you would, would really appreciate a five-star review so more people can find out about the podcast. And when you share this with one of your friends, one of your small business owners, if you're an insurance agency owner, send an email out and say, hey, have you checked this podcast out? That would mean so much to me. All right, everyone, until next episode, lead well. Well,